Lisa and I are delighted to be here today. I, I consider it a real uh, honor to be here. We are familiar with this church because um, since I uh, got back from Iowa a little over a year ago where I did a, an interim assignment, uh, we we get up here uh, uh, now and then. We've been preaching a lot and visiting uh, a lot of PCA churches, but I, I've got to tell you, this is... Uh, one of our favorite churches. Uh, we love the worship here. We love Philip. I want to say a couple things about Philip. I think, Philip, you have a great pastor, and God has used him to do a great work here. And uh, I like him, and he is respected in Presbytery, and, uh, and uh, he, as you well know, is a very uh, hardworking uh, shepherd. Uh, so I am honored to be standing in the pulpit where he uh, normally ministers the word to you, but I am happy about one thing. Um, I have to say, you might not want to record this. Um, it's been a long time since I filled in for someone where I had more hair than they do. So uh, I'm I'm feeling kind of young today. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, would you uh, turn in the scriptures to Philippians chapter two? Now you can start recording again. Our scripture lesson is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. One of the great passages of scripture. Let's hear the word of God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we marvel. We always marvel when we think of what Jesus did for us. That he left the glory and the peace and the never-ending joy of heaven to come and be born in human flesh in this sinful fallen world 
and to be obedient throughout his life to you and to be obedient even to the point of death to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we pray that you would indeed help us to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the heart of Christ, to grow more into the likeness of Christ. Be with us as we study your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, in another century, uh, I attended Covenant Seminary in St. Louis and That was a highlight of my life. It was a wonderful time. Uh, Some of you may have been able to go to seminary and take some courses, but it's wonderful. I mean, you get to study the Bible uh, pretty much all day. Uh, You study systematic theology and biblical theology and church history and homiletics, which is is, uh, how to preach. And all of these things have been very helpful to me in my ministry, which now has uh, run some 35 years. But i got to tell you, there's one thing that seminary just did not at all prepare me to deal with. Maybe it's changed now. But when I was, when I was uh, in seminary in the late 70s and early 80s, um, I can't remember anything that prepared me to deal with the kind of conflict that I would run into very soon uh, as a young pastor. I mean, some people, some people get so upset about the, the littlest things. So in the second church that I served, we, we had decided to completely renovate the sanctuary. We were in this little, we had, they had bought this little country Baptist church. And uh, on the outskirts of Marietta and, 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 and the outskirts of the growth of suburban Atlanta. And uh, the place just was in terrible, terrible. I, it had the ugliest avocado green carpet I have ever seen. Just awful. Uh, cheap paneling on the walls. Um, uh, I could just go on and on. It, it was depressing just to walk in there. And once you walked in there, you knew this was not the place. So uh, with the input from the deacons, we decided that we were going to, uh, uh, we, we were going to completely re- renovate the in, inside of the church. And, and we're going to knock out a back wall. They had a couple of rows of seating, which I believe you guys will be doing before too long. And, and, and because money was tight, we were going to do all the work ourselves on Saturdays and work days. And what an exciting thing, you know, really excited about this. And then there was a controversy. You know what the controversy was about? I mean, here at this really exciting, joyful time in the life of the church, there was a controversy over what to serve the workers at lunchtime. Would it be sandwiches? Or would it be fried chicken? And there were some people that were very insistent that it should be fried chicken. After all, these guys were giving up their Saturday. Uh, and then also after we outgrew that church, we bought a beautiful piece of property on a main road, on the corner of a main road. And we were designing the building 
Uh, obviously, the architect was designing it, but we were, we were going through it page by page. And uh, Then we had another controversy that brought... And this one was actually kind of intense within the building committee. And this controversy was whether what, what kind of toilet to put in the nursery. Was it going to be a, a children's toilet or was it going to be a full-size toilet? And there were strong, strong opinions about this. Um, and I haven't even begun to talk about worship wars uh, because it has been my lot to, to serve as a pastor during years of great transition in worship. And, and, and myself and my wife, we, we love blended worship. I like the best of the old and the best of the new. I can't imagine going to a service and never singing any of the great hymns of the church. But, um, you know, the Lord has given, uh, uh, given some uh, wonderful new music and musicians to the church. I'm going to be going to the Getty Music Conference in Nashville in about a month. I'm really looking forward to that. And it's just not true that all the great hymns were written uh, before the uh, 20th century. You can't say that anymore. Um, uh, in Christ Alone is as good a hymn as you'll find in any hymnal. In fact, it's pretty much a standard in all new hymnals now. Uh, but, you know, worship wars. Wow, people have such strong opinions. And so I have, I have been sometimes criticized uh, because... We uh, we sang too many new songs and not enough of the old the old songs the old fashioned gospel songs. And on the same day or perhaps the next Sunday, I'm criticized because you know we didn't sing enough new songs. And and uh, you know that's what God is really using today, and that's what's really the Spirit is using in the church today. And 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 you you get it coming both ways. Can I, can I just do a little aside to you? You know, sometimes a pastor finds himself uh, in the middle, kind of squeezed from both sides, and he's trying to hold the center. Uh, be careful. Be real careful. Uh, your pastor may be uh, uh, in that situation sometime, and uh, he, he just can't please everybody. And, and, and so... Um, what sometimes happens is one group says, well, mm, if we want to have our way, we got to push the pastor out. What they don't realize is once he's gone, then they got to deal with each other. And uh, that happened to me in that church. And I, I talked to the guy who succeeded me, really good guy, had a great ministry out in Texas before he came there. And he said, Jim, after you left, there was war in that church between the elders and the deacons for two years. And that church, which when I left was had about 190 to 200 in attendance, has 40 people there today. Because they ran off that guy who succeeded me too. Uh, you know, the church conflicts, I mean, just you're just not prepared for it. And, and you know, let me tell you something. This is devastating to your children. It really, they, they have high expectations when they read in the scripture about the love that Christians are to have for one another. And if they don't see it in the church, it, it, uh, it, it, it really, uh, really takes a toll. 
Um, but you know, not all church conflicts are about little things. Some of them are about more important things. One time I was leading an officer training class. I hope I don't step on any toes here. And uh, I found out that uh, one of the nominees uh, was a very active Mason. That's the moment all pastors dread, having to deal with that one. And I took it to the session, and we read the PCA report to General Assembly. It was written in the 80s. And our session concluded that that they were not going to ordain uh, an active Mason to either office, elder or deacon. And I tried as gently and as as kindly as I could to explain this to this man. And uh, he, it's not like he got real angry with me in, in, in words, but you could just tell he was simmering. And he held, somebody had to pay for this, and that somebody was me. And he just held a real grudge against me from that moment on. And, um, um, pretty much let everybody knew he was done with me. Um, conflicts, you know, uh, they can be so, so, uh, devastating in the church. And it's serious. It's, it's, it's too common and it's very serious. So maybe you're thinking, wow, if only we could be more like those Christians in the early church. Now listen, there were some very exciting things that happened in the early church. Miraculous things that happened in the early church. But if you uh, read the New Testament a little more closely, you will find in place after place, in book after book, um, admonitions about conflict in the church and appeals for unity. So here we are, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which was one of the healthier churches that he had planted. And the only church that he allowed to support him financially. But Paul had gotten word that there was this there was this raging conflict. There were two women in that church who just could not get along. You know, there are a lot of churches where there are two women who just can't get along. Um, and two men that just can't get along too. And uh, so in Philippians 4, I love this. In Philippians 4, 2, as Paul is concluding this book of uh, Philippians, it is mainly about joy. It, it's, it's, it's just one of the wonderful books of the New Testament. Then he just cuts to the chase and he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. How would you like to have your name written in the scripture like that? Called out uh, in one of Paul's epistles. You guys, work it out. And uh, yes, I ask you also, true companion. Some versions say yoke fellow. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Paul is saying, I am grieving that Euodia and Syntyche can't get along. And I've heard of this all the way in Rome, hundreds of miles away. It's got to be 
hurting the church there. Come on, work this out, whatever it is. And uh, what about the church in Corinth? That, not such a healthy church. Um, Paul starts talking about unity very early in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or the most spiritual of all, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, there's another church divided over. Who's the best preacher? Who's the best apostle? Who do you follow? What camp are you in? And so as he comes back to address the subject in chapter 3, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, aren't you being merely human? And then there were some other verses in the New Testament that talk about conflict in the church. In Galatians 5.14, we read, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Or James, in James 4, he writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. My friends, since the very beginning, churches have been divided by one thing or another. And it hasn't gotten any better. And I personally think this is one of Satan's key strategies to uh, disrupt the uh, preaching of the gospel. And that's to get us upset about all kinds of things and upset with one another and, uh, and divided. But Christian unity deserves the high priority that it has in Scripture. And I want you to see that. I want you to see just how important this is in the Scripture. How important it is to the apostles and how important it is to God. So look how Paul in Philippians 2 begins his appeal to the Philippian church. His appeal for unity. I want you to see how tenderly, but how how forcefully how 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 deeply heartfelt his appeal is so he begins in philippians 2 1 so if there's any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's saying if there's just a seed or or just a, a shred of love and uh, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, if there's just the tiniest bit, then please make me rejoice by being of one mind. And uh, just a few verses before this, he said in Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now what do you think normally is going to follow that? Only let your the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, you're thinking, well, maybe he's going to say, so be sure to pray. Pray more. Live a holy life. Um, uh, witness for Christ more. Not what he says. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He equates unity in the church as as a, a big example of Walking and living out the Christian life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, obviously, in other places in the New Testament, Paul talks about the importance of prayer, and he talks about the importance of witnessing, and certainly the importance of a holy life. But it's not only here, um, uh, because... Uh, uh, he sees. He says something very similar in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, my friends, I think you can see from this that unity is not just uh, a secondary priority in the church. Not something that would be nice to have, but you could do without it. No, he's saying this is extremely important. This is extremely important. And in fact, if you really want to see how important it is, you have to go to John 17, where Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would be one even as we, as the uh, persons of the Trinity, as we are one. Think about that. That's just amazing. Jesus prayed that you and I as believers would be united in heart and mind and spirit and love in the same way that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are united. I can't even imagine that. I can't even fathom that. But that's what he says.
That's what Jesus prays. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Please remember that. The next time someone comes to you with some gossip or wants to enlist you in their, in their cause, in their party, in their side, on some conflict. Remember Jesus' prayer that we would be one even as the three persons of the Trinity are one. That's the priority that Jesus and the apostles placed on the issue of unity in the church. But, of course, in America, we're not always like that. I mean, we Americans like to get things done. And uh, so if, uh, you know, if there's someone who doesn't agree, we can't see it eye to eye, then we just got to move on. We got to get it done. And, uh, you know, I'll just tell you, I speak to the elders now. Most of the time, if you can't come to one mind on a decision, now it doesn't mean that everybody's 100% for it, but if you can't come to the place where at least everyone can support the decision, you know what you ought to do? You probably ought to put it on the table and pray about it for another month or two. And uh, give God time to to bring about unity, uh, because uh, uh, because it's that important. Christian unity is no small issue, and it deserves the high priority that it is given in Scripture. So remember that your pastor and all of your elders and every church member of Trinity Church has taken a vow to strive. Preserve the peace of the church. That's what study the peace of the church means. And if you find yourself in a conflict with another Christian or another member of this church, you need to go to that person. And you need to try to do your best to resolve it. Now we know that from Romans that that's that's all Paul calls us to. He says... Uh, Do your best as much as it depends on you to live at peace with all men. There are some people that that you just may not be able to to come to an understanding with. But Jesus said, if you are offering your your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Again, look how important unity is. He says, okay, it's great to worship, great to bring your offering, but you know, if, if there is an unresolved conflict, 
in the church. It might be with somebody in your own family. It might be between a husband and wife. It might be between uh, different families in the church or officers in the church. He says, you know, it's really more important that you go and resolve that conflict. And then come and worship and offer your gift. Well, what's the, what's the cure for conflict? How, how do we deal with this? How do we get past this? How do we resolve this problem of conflict that's gone on for 2,000 years and really way before that? Uh, it's been uh, with us as, uh, all the way back to, uh, to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. What's the cure for conflict in the church? Well, you know, we can talk about uh, how to listen better and how to say things better and, and uh, when we may need to get a third party to come in and help resolve a conflict. And there are seminars that will teach you all those skills. And that, there's a place for that. That's good. That's good. But, you know, when you boil it all down... The main thing that we have to do is to strive to be more like Christ. I mean, that's the main thing we need to do to, to, to resolve conflict, to cure conflict, is to be more like Christ. So that's why in Philippians 2, Paul mentions four ways that the Philippians need to have the mind of Christ. Four ways that they need to imitate Christ. And so he says... In verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I cannot stress to you enough how important the, the character attribute of humility is for a Christian. And, you know, it's very tempting because as evangelical Christians, as Reformed Christians, we have God's Word and it is true and we believe that it is true and inspired and inerrant and our only authority and faith in life. And uh, we look at the world around us and we look at a culture that's in disarray and moral decay and decline. And, you know, it's, it's tempting for us to think, you know, we, we've got the truth. These people, you know, things are falling apart. But we've got the truth. And we do. But we dare not become proud and uh, haughty about that. I love, I love the phrase that someone coined 10 or 15 years ago, humble orthodoxy. Humble orthodoxy. Where you can be absolutely convinced of the truth of God's word committed to the truth of God's Word, standing on the truth of God's Word, but still have a humble attitude. Why? Because you know why? Because we're sinners. 
So in the first place, we may not even understand some of the word correctly. In fact, you don't understand everything in God's word correctly. I don't. When I get to heaven, God's going to say, well, Jim, you know, you did pretty good here, but you were wrong there. Yeah, God, you're right. Um, And we certainly don't live according to everything that we believe. I was at dinner table last night. There was a man at the table. I don't believe he was a believer. And he worked for a television studio. Didn't even know it existed in Chattanooga. And uh, we got to talking about Christian television. And he, he said, I try not to deal with any religious people. He said, I've had some bad experiences where they don't want to pay me for, you know, time that we've given, airtime that we've given them and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and we don't, we don't, unless, unless you live 100% consistent with what you believe, my friends, you've got to be humble. You've got to be humble. We've got to be humble. Secondly, look at the servanthood of Christ. So, even though he is fully God and, and, and incarnated in human flesh, we read that uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? That the eternal, almighty, omniscient, all-holy God came. Not to be uh, adored by the crowds, which sometimes he was, but he came to serve. He came to serve. And uh, he said, he taught, he said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what? One of the last things he taught his disciples is very dramatic. In John chapter 13... They're all gathered there for the Last Supper. Nobody's getting up to wash the dirty feet of the other disciples. So Jesus does it. Jesus gets up and he lays aside his outer garment, takes a towel and a basin and goes around one by one, washing their feet. This is the guy who has done miracles. They've seen them. This this is the guy they saw at the transfiguration. There was no doubt in their mind that he was the son of God. And they knew it was wrong. There's something right about this. One of us should be doing this. You know they just had to be filled with all kinds of guilt. And then Jesus, as he finished, said, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Wow. I think if I had been there, that would have been a, that would have been a lesson I would never forget. I mean, you, you think you don't forget the transfiguration. You don't forget Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But you don't forget it when that same Jesus goes around and washes the feet of 12 men who were just fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. and It was a real motley crew. And he washed their feet. My friend, you've got to have the servant heart of Christ if you want to be a part of the solution of conflict in the church. And then you must be willing to sacrifice. Christ came and he lived a life of obedience and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now God is not going to ask you to die on a cross. And he doesn't call many of us. Only a few of us are called to be martyrs. And I believe he gives them the grace uh, to fight the good fight to the end. But don't kid yourselves. God does ask us to be living sacrifices. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had it right. You know, when Jesus calls us, he bids us to come and die. There is something that God wants you to die to. There is something, some great sacrifice that God is calling you to make. It, it may simply be if you are a mother at home with your children, to give your life to, to that holy calling, that wonderful calling, a very high calling of raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But that means so many other things that you won't be able to do. Um, it could mean that you take a place, a very lowly place of service, but you do it well. And you do it with a joyful heart. Because you're doing it to the Lord. But God calls everyone to sacrifice, to be living sacrifices. And you know, if we were all that humble and we were eager to serve and we were willing to make sacrifices as Christ would, do you really think there would be many conflicts in the church? Now, we might have some differences on doctrine, I'm sure we would. We might have some different opinions about specific issues facing the church. But we would not break the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We would continue to be agreeable even if we did not agree on everything. And then finally, I think the quality that we must have, the quality that Christ displayed that we must have if we're going to resolve conflict in the church, reduce conflict in the church, is we've got to have the forgiveness of Christ. 
<laughs> Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter where, whether it's a church or a, a co-worker or a friend or a marriage. Any relationship that lasts for any length of time will require both asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness. I mean, we're fallen, sinful people. Some of us are going to lose our tempers sometimes. Some of us are going to neglect to do some things that really ought to be done. It's just the way it is. If you're going to stay in a relationship or stay in a church, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to ask for forgiveness and there's going to be times when you have to be willing to forgive. Somebody's done you wrong. They do. They've done me wrong. Believe me, I can tell you. We're almost out of time, so I won't. And there'll be times where you've got to forgive. Um, And you know, when you do that, you're really, you're really becoming more like Christ. That's all you're doing because think about it. I mean, here's Christ hanging on the cross between two thieves and People are mocking him, and what did he say? Father, you get them for what they're doing to me. You know I'm your son. You get them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let let me just be real pointed here. Has anybody in your whole life done anything to you that is as wrong as what they did to Christ when they hung him on the cross. As Let me put it this way. As wrong as what we did to Christ when he hung on the cross for our sins. I can say with complete confidence that while you may have been done all kinds of terrible things, I don't deny that, none of them were as bad is what Christ experienced. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And what did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Early in my ministry, I saw a beautiful example of this, and I've never forgotten it. I served a little church when I was in seminary. It was out in the country. It's the only church in town, a town of 70 people. A little flashing yellow light there to tell you to slow down. Most people didn't stop. And one church, which was more or less non-denominational, loosely denominational. 
And they had a practice in that church when they served communion that if there were any shut-ins or people in the hospital that an elder would go with the pastor and we would take them communion. And of course we would read scripture and pray before we served the elements. So on one occasion we went to the hospital and um, we were... We were about to serve, I was about to serve the bread to this man who was in the hospital. And he said, wait just a minute. And he looked at the man who was with me, who technically wasn't an elder, but, but functionally was. And he said, you know, many years ago, you said some things that hurt my feelings, and I've held a grudge against you, and I've basically avoided you since that time. And I just feel that before I receive the Lord's Supper from you, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And at that moment, as a 26-year-old aspiring pastor, I saw God do a miracle. I saw two men who hadn't been able to get along in years reconciled. I saw two men realize that they were one in Christ. Whatever their differences are, what they had in common was much, much greater. And I believe that God was glorified that day. By the way, these two men were able to humble themselves and ask for and grant forgiveness. So, my friends, as we close today, let me ask you, are you willing to do something like that? Will you give the peace and unity of the church the priority that it has in Scripture? I want to challenge you this morning to realize how much damage is done to the witness and ministry of the church because of unresolved conflicts. I want to urge you to follow Christ in His perfect example of humility and servanthood and sacrifice and forgiveness. And I want to encourage you to make every effort, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are sinful people. And you would think we would not need a reminder of it, but we do. Uh, We we are selfish. We are short-tempered. We are not humble, but proud. But we are followers of Christ. And everything that we are, He wasn't. And everything He was and is, we want to be. Help us to be more like Christ. Help us to be more like Christ when the rubber meets the road. When we're just so frustrated and angry with someone that we just don't really feel like behaving as a Christian. 
Help us to remember the one who looked at that jeering crowd of people who were watching him die and taunting him if he was indeed the Son of God come down from the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.